Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs. We'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe, whether that's via Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Aircast, to ensure that you keep up to date with all the latest episodes of Over the Farmgate. In this week's pod, we bring you a special focus on mental health in the farming industry. Last week was Mental Health Awareness Week, and we spoke to people at the forefront of tackling what is a major challenge for our sector and also the wider rural community. Maybe more so than many, and due to a range of cultural factors, farmers are simply not very good about talking about their mental or even physical health problems, quite often until it is too late. That is why Farmers Guardian, in partnership with Waitrose, has been running a special campaign called Strive to Thrive, which aims to tackle the stigma of mental health, but also challenges farmers to look after their mental resilience and therefore reap the benefits, whether that's in terms of their home life or even their business performance. But there's no avoiding the fact that farming charities say they're concerned about the additional strains farming communities are starting to feel related to the COVID-19 pandemic particularly without the normal round of summer shows and events to help them unwind or reconnect with people, friends and colleagues that they haven't seen for some time. In addition, charities are facing funds drying up as many of their fundraising events have been cancelled due to the wider cancellation of the show scene. So this week, Jez Fredenberg talks to Susie Dealey at RABI about why the charity is concerned for the farming community looking ahead. She then talks to Philip Wilson of the Farming Community Network about the strains farmers are feeling and has an honest chat with Emma Picton-Jones of the DPJ Foundation about losing her husband Dan to suicide and also what signs to look out for in ourselves and others who may be suffering from mental health problems. CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership. And during this COVID crisis, the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more, go to www.cla.org.uk. Hello everyone. I'm recording this from the office in my garden on a very, very windy day. So apologies for the background noise throughout. I hope you can hear okay. So how are you today? How are you really? And how are the people around you? I'm asking because last week was Mental Health Week. And according to the charity Mind, one in four people in the UK will experience a mental health problem each year. So we could all do with getting better at talking about how we really are feeling. And with the stresses and uncertainty caused by the pandemic, we know that many more people are feeling the strain right now. We also know that farming in particular suffers badly and that it's still the industry with the highest rate of suicide, with one person every single week dying by suicide. Last week, farming charities said they were concerned about the additional strains that farming communities are starting to feel related to the pandemic. In addition, those charities are facing funds drying up as many of their fundraising events have been cancelled. RABI, the Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution, is down an estimated £3.5 to £5 million. To put that in context, last year they gave out £2.8 million. 
to talk more about what strains farmers are feeling right now. I'm now joined by Susie Dealey, Corporate Partnership Manager at the charity. Susie, how is the pandemic putting extra strain on farming communities? I think it's important to realise that at the moment, the pandemic is just one of a number of issues that are causing stress and problems for the farming community. That's not to trivialise it in any way, but we're already coming off a very wet winter where a lot of farmers experience real problems with flooding, followed by a lack of rain, which has affected all areas of the industry, all sectors, whether it's arable or livestock. It's early days for us at the moment with COVID. Clearly there are farmers being affected by this, but as with all of these problems, whether they're weather or disease related, we tend to see a bit of a time lag between when the initial problem happens and when farmers contact us. Generally, they're busy dealing with the situation as it happens. When we get the call, it tends to be a little later when the situation really impacts on their cash flow. And we've seen this with with flooding, we've seen this with drought, we've seen this obviously with foot and mouth and any other number of problems that have hit the farming community over the last few years. We have had a number of calls from farmers who have been affected by COVID-19 or, you know, that their businesses have been impacted. As I said, it's early days, but the calls that we've had so far largely relate either to drop in income because they're dairy farmers and there was the supply issues and then their milk checks not coming through. There's also been uh, calls which tend to relate otherwise to loss of off-farm income. So whether that's partner who has uh, had hours reduced or lost their job there or where they've diversified for example with holiday cottages or other businesses on the farm and that income has has largely disappeared there are there are also of course those who are, have, have had to self-isolate for shielding and we also can't forget that there are a lot of farmers who have been struggling to make money for a few years and so many of the government support business loan systems obviously don't really apply to them because they can't show a profit to investigate those options. So at the moment it really is early days. We have absolutely no doubt that we will be getting many more calls going forward but it it will likely be with a time delay as I said. This summer we were expecting to have the increase due to the flooding late summer into the autumn and I think there'll be a similar time delay with Covid so we will be experiencing problems well into next year with that. Of course the the pandemic isn't going anywhere at the moment it seems as well we're looking at you know like cancellation of a lot of farming events and things like that so it seems like the sorts of events that people would normally go to to take pressure off and relieve a bit of stress and reconnect with people aren't aren't going to be happening as well so like you just said there's a time delay there but how is how do you expect all of that to affect people as well This summer is going to be a very strange one from the charity's point of view, and we're not alone in this. All charities have been significantly hit by their fundraising events and other events being cancelled, whether that's the agricultural shows or the county shows that people go to, which are both really important for the farming community and for us. There are an opportunity for people to get off farm, which is really important. There are an opportunity for people to socialise, um, get out. But for us also as a charity, they're, they're an important mechanism in continuing to spread the word that we're there to remind people we're there. We always get referrals at, at these shows. But our events also, I mentioned that our, our fundraising will be significantly hit from this. 
But we have to remember also that the fundraising events and our events in general, they're dual purpose. Yes, they're an opportunity for us to raise funds, but they're also a really important socialiser for people, to, for people to get out and see like-minded people. And they're a reminder that we're there, they're a reminder for those who might need support, but also for those who know someone who might need support, because many of the people that we help come in through referral. So that is a really significant thing we need to consider likewise you know the auction marts while while many are, are still operating they're not in the same way as they were they they formed a huge part of people's social interaction and for those farmers who are at home who even before covid hit were experienced problems whether that's mental health whether that's financial although obviously they're often very well linked whatever those issues were they will be exacerbated by the fact that the, the isolation is imposed and for many, it's, it's extremely difficult. And are you able to put anything in place to deal with that loss of contact to kind of make up for it at all? As a charity, we are obviously continuing to operate in a slightly different form, but we're providing help as we always have. So while our staff aren't in the Oxford office, which is our only office, our helpline is running. We are still supporting the beneficiaries, both those who are new referrals coming to us and our existing ones. The visits obviously can't take place in person, but that is all done over the phone. And we also identified many of those who we realise might need some more support, whether they are recent beneficiaries who we haven't we're not immediately helping at the moment all those who we are currently supporting we have put in place a system where we make sure that we call call them we touch base with them check how they're doing and what support they might need because and, and we're continuing to encourage people to please call our helpline if they need help because even if we as a charity can't help we have been around for a very long time we work with all the other support agencies and charities out there and the important thing is that we can get people to the help that they might need. And Susie, can you give us a roundup of the types of help that you offer? Yes, so we we help in a number of different ways. We are there to support people practically and also with financial support. We don't support businesses, we support domestic situations, individuals and families. Number of ways in which we can help. We can help long term tends to be those people who are either retired or have had to exit the industry due to accident or illness. That's in the form of quarterly grants with uh, Winterfield top-ups. We can also help in any number of situations with one-off grants. So that could be for utility bills, for rent arrears, for council tax, household adaptations, white goods, anything and everything really. And each person who comes to us is assessed we assess the needs and what, what they might need. Working farmers, in some situations, we can provide, for example, relief farm staff to really ease a situation if, if perhaps a farmer has had an accident or illness. And we can also provide money for training grants where a farmer identifies a, a business opportunity, but, but perhaps, he, perhaps he doesn't have the certification to sell that skill off-farm. If it means that he can then bring in an additional uh, income back into the farm we can provide training grants for that and lastly the really big th other big thing we do is of course there is so much paperwork around farming in general so we work with IAGSA on the paperwork side of things to make sure people have their paperwork up to date but equally we can help people negotiate the state benefit system which is incredibly complex and we we have a team who are brilliant at this and can make sure that people get the the benefits that they need and that they that are due to them.
It really does sound like an amazing array of help there. So how can how can people reach out for that help, Susie, if they really need it? As I said, we continue it to operate as we always have. There are a number of different ways that you can come to us. You can either phone our free phone confidential helpline, which is 0808-281-9490. Or you could email help at rabi.org.uk or take a look at our website, which also gives you opportunities to contact us for support. But also, there's a lot more information about who we are, what we do, um, and what we've been up to. And that's www.rabi.org.uk. You're still ploughing on, and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com slash subscriptions today. That was Susie Dealey from RABI. Now, 6,507. That's the number of people in the UK in 2018 who sadly died by suicide. It feels perhaps uncomfortable to listen to that number, and I have to say it feels pretty uncomfortable saying it too. But my next guest believes that we should all be talking about suicide much more. Emma Picton-Jones was 28 with two young children when her husband Dan, a farming contractor, killed himself. The next day, Emma set up the DPJ Foundation in his name, which now provides counselling and mental health awareness training across Wales. Joining me with Emma to talk about the signs of mental ill health, who's suffering right now and what help is available is Philip Wilson, Head of Operations at the Farming Community Network. Emma, we're recording this during Mental Health Week, so I think I should start by just asking, how, how are you today? I bet you've had a busy week. Yeah, it's been a really busy week, but actually really good today. It's nice to kind of see the impact that our posts have had this week and how everyone has been sharing stuff with us and talking to us about their mental health and actually seeing the difference year on year that people are having. People are starting to take notice of Mental Health Awareness Week and actually having more interaction with it, which is really great for us. That's cool. Philip, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, again, a very busy week. It's been busy every day since lockdown, it seems. It's just we trying to get things done and doing things via Zoom and via telephone it presents its own challenges, as we all know. But no, uh, all good, all good. And again, yeah, being Mental Health Week, it's, I know that uh, FCN have been putting out a lot of material and trying to get people to really look after their, their mental health and to make sure that they're looking out for other people. And it is those acts of kindness, isn't it? It's being, being kind is what we're really trying to emphasise and trying to make sure that people look out for each other. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, Emma, I, I know that, you know, you're, you're obviously out on the on the ground, as it were, with this a lot. And in your experience of talking to the farming community right now, how are you finding that people are coping with the, the effects of the pandemic? And who is perhaps finding it particularly hard? I think in general, as a community, the farming community are really resilient. And I think with situations like this, we actually tend to think, right, what can we do? And let's kind of move forward positively. 
in my experience over the past seven, eight, nine weeks, the community that are struggling the hardest with it are actually the younger generation within the farming community. We found that actually they're really struggling with those usual social occasions that they would usually go to and they'd usually have, which have stopped. And they're not able to see their friends as much as they were. You know, they're not able to just pop to the pub on a Friday evening after milking, whatever they would usually do. They're really struggling with that. And a lot of these youngsters still live at home with their parents and that kind of 24 hours a day, seven days a week, working where you live and, and staying there and not being able to kind of have that that social interaction with the outside world I think people are finding it really difficult and and as a sector we're really used to isolation actually and we're quite good at isolating ourselves but the younger generation is so used to being able just to pop off and speak to somebody else and go and see somebody else that I think we found that that's been the hardest aspect for it and we've received a number of calls from the younger generation who are really struggling with that currently. And, and Philip, from the the calls that you're receiving at the um, the farming community network, you know, is it often younger people that are phoning in, and what sorts of issues are people ringing in about at the moment? Well, interestingly enough, we haven't actually had a massive spike in calls. We've got uh, sixty over sixty helpline volunteers who are answering our phones between seven and eleven at night. I'll give you the phone number: oh three thousand triple one triple nine. But the the helpline calls, they've changed in profile in as much as, yes, we are seeing younger people phoning. We're seeing people phoning relating to COVID. In fact, over half our calls in the last month have a COVID connection, if you like, either financial. It is. It is. Mm. So it has changed the profile of the call or the volume of calls. And what we're finding is that it can be younger people. It's people who are struggling perhaps with maternity cover or that sort of thing, and much more sort of family-related issues. We've also had quite a few calls regarding public coming onto property and certainly nearer the towns, uh, people, you know being on farms when they shouldn't be or acting irresponsibly on farms and we found yeah, that we've, we've had to field calls to do with that as well. Yeah so as I say it's interesting that we haven't seen a spike there's no, no spike in calls but it's just they've changed profile and the other interesting thing I suppose is that I'm sure Emma will agree with this this is probably one of the busiest times of the farming year especially with all the wet weather we've had people farmers have spent you know, many weeks now drilling and getting crops in the ground and now they're spraying and it's generally doing maintenance so they're, they're coming to the end of the busy patch and I think it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen in the next month or so as spring goes into summer and people draw breath can't go to the shows and uh, because they're not happening and that whole social fabric of the farming community won't be able to meet up as it has done in the past and that's going to have, I think, significant impacts on people's mental well-being in the next mm. uh, coming weeks. So, there's, yeah, there's a lot to be looking out for, I guess, there in terms of who's coping or who's not coping at the moment. What are people saying in terms of how their businesses are being impacted right now? There's a whole variety, actually. A lot of us are coming, a lot, lot of callers are coming to us for financial help. And also, I know we normally tend to refer those people on to RAPI or to other organisations that can help them. We're also finding that the stress, we call them stress-related calls, that they seem to be making up probably where we've got about a quarter of them are actually to do with mental health and well-being. And it is farmers just phoning and saying... I've got X, Y and Z problems and now I'm beginning to feel depressed about it. And so it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting that mental health, the, the farming community, is particularly younger people, are no longer uh, afraid to discuss it and afraid to own up to having a problem and saying that they're not OK. 
That's interesting. I mean, that's that's really positive by the sounds of it. Is is that still very much like an issue though? I'm guessing with the older generation. I think it probably is. Mm. And interestingly, I think the the older demographic, the uh, seventy plus, who uh, I was talking to some of our volunteers yesterday, are getting fed up with being told what they can't do. You know, they're, they're mm. really fed up. You know, that they're, they're all fit, they're healthy, they're farming, they've been farming all their lives, and you know, they, they don't need to be told to stay in their house because they're you know as, as fit as a twenty five year old. They'd say. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Emma, I know we've obviously talked there about a lot of different pressures piling on top of people and the particular strain on young people right now dealing with isolation. What are the sorts of, you know, the key things that all of us can be looking out for in terms of our own mental health and looking out for the people around us? So when you're looking out for other people around you, you're basically looking out for any change. You're looking out for differences and changes in somebody, somebody who's usually perhaps very upbeat, who's kind of, you know, very kind of positive about things is all of a sudden very negative. Somebody who perhaps takes care of their appearance is all of a sudden have very kind of a lack of self-care. Is looking for those changes and those differences in people. And those kind of changes can often come about when somebody is suffering with poor mental health. And then when it comes to yourself, you're basically, it's that lack of motivation. It's that kind of not willing to get up and do the norm it's not quite feeling yourself and my daughter that I was talking to her and she you know she's really struggling with not going to school and not seeing her friends and she said to me the other day she, the only way she could put it was I just don't feel like me and I think that's kind of a really good sentence is that you know you really just don't feel like you and the minute you start recognizing you don't feel like you that's kind of when you need to start taking action and think right actually there could be something going on here so let's do something about it and there's several things you can do in that first instance first thing then the most positive thing that you can do is go and talk to somebody about it and when you recognize these things in yourself make sure you kind of discuss that with somebody whether it's a family member in the first instance or a friend or whoever but talking about it in the first instance is the best first step and then secondly you want to look at right what can I do in order to kind of make myself feel better and that's where self-care really comes in and it can be anything and everybody's self-care is so different and I remember going on a course once as a, as a teacher and being told you know to make yourself feel better you've got to go out and do some exercise I was like no that sounds awful I couldn't think of anything worse than going outside I really would hate that and so it was like one box doesn't kind of fit all with that and especially if you can't say to a farmer you know go outside and go for a run that's going to make you feel loads better after three hours of milking it just doesn't work and so it's all about kind of what suits you individually and what kind of makes you feel better and it might be coming in and just sitting down and eating lunch at the table which might be a kind of completely you know something you just don't do it could be going for a bike ride and going for a run it might just be something as simple as sitting down and reading the newspaper whatever it is find your thing that you do and make sure you do it and it makes you feel better because when we do things for ourselves it's really good for our self-esteem it's really good for our confidence and it makes us feel better if things start to develop and you're still not feeling better it's really important that you ask for help and kind of that's where you know fcn come in and ourselves and, and the other organizations that are there and that are available you know, 24 hours a day in some cases. And it's really important that you, you make that move and ask for help. What about people who, by their nature, they, they don't perhaps share very much of, of what they're feeling? I, I feel like I've, I've read so many, you know, awful stories where people have taken their own life and their family and friends said, we, we had no idea that they were dealing with anything and they always seemed so upbeat. And how do we take care of people like that and really protect those people 
It's quite funny you say that because that's one of the first things that was said to me when Dan died. The amount of people who were like, we can't even believe that it happened, you know. And I remember someone coming up to me and saying, I didn't realise he had cancer. And I was like, he didn't, you know, he, he killed himself. And it was kind of no one could understand that this seemingly relaxed, chilled out guy was really suffering bad enough to want to end his life. I think in that instance, it's really important that we kind of don't give up on those people, that we make sure that if we're a friend of theirs or a family member, that we make sure that they know that we're there to talk to, make it a kind of an open conversation. And this is kind of where we as a community come in. As much as us as charities can do a lot, the community itself has got a lot to do in the fact of making mental health an acceptable conversation, but also making suicide an acceptable conversation as well and making it so that it's comfortable and it's something we talk about. And even just, you know, dropping that person a text message if you, if you don't live with them, don't go and see them right now because that's not allowed, in Wales especially. I, don't, <laughs> I can't keep up with what's happening everywhere else. Oh, but, who knows? You know, who knows, I'm honest. No, <laughs> no idea. I just know... No, I'm staying put and yeah. that's all I'm going to do. <laughs> but, you know, it's really important to just drop them a text message, but let them know that when they're ready to talk about it, that you're there for them. And most importantly, I think it's okay to express concern about somebody. I think too often we tend to kind of think that's somebody's private life and we can't get involved and we shouldn't pry. When actually we've got to start prying into people's private lives, we've got to start asking questions and checking in on people because we live such isolated lives more now than ever. And, you know, gone are the days where we have, when I was growing up, we had 20 men here about on the farm every day, you know, and there was plenty of people around to talk to all the time. And that doesn't happen anymore. So now more than ever, we've got to pick up that phone. We've got to kind of make that move to ask people if they're okay and keep asking I think is the key and if as long as you've got concern it's important to keep asking and if people aren't are worried about getting help and concerned because of you know they're not sure they want to talk about it all of these organizations are completely confidential you know ring them up you don't have to tell anybody who you are or where you're from but just somebody to have a listening ear is is a huge amount of help and you know it's not something you have to shout about from the rooftops and I'm so grateful for those people that do talk about their mental health openly because it's important but also you don't have to as long as you're getting help that's all that matters yeah, I think that's a really, really, really good point. And I think, you know, we we know, I think, like, you and I had a conversation beforehand about this, but we know that suicide is, like, such a massive killer, and particularly in, in young men. You mentioned, like, that we need to talk about that more. How it, it feels like, I think, for so many of us, like, such a difficult thing to talk about. How do we kind of overcome that and, like, really encourage people to start, like, talking about it? I think for me, it kind of just boils down to the fact that if we don't talk about it, it's still going to continue to happen. And suicide is such a taboo subject and it's this massive kind of taboo that nobody discusses. We don't talk about it. But when it happens, everyone kind of goes underground. And for me, what I remember quite distinctively after my husband died, we had all the shows and everything because it happened in the summer. And nobody would come and speak to me. Everybody ignored me because it was suicide and nobody knew what to say. And I remember thinking, like, this isn't right. Like, I've lost my husband just as well as somebody else who'd lost their husband through an illness and cancer, whatever it might be. Why aren't people talking to me about this? And I think you know, if we don't start having these conversations, it's going to continue to be a taboo. And those people who have suicidal thoughts aren't going to talk about it. So the easiest way to eradicate that is just to talk about it. If you've got that kind of gut feeling and you're worried about somebody enough that you think they could potentially end their own life, ask them, say to them, you know, are you suicidal? Have you been thinking about killing yourself? And more than often than not, people don't like asking the question because they're petrified of the answer. 
And what's important to remember is as uncomfortable as you feel asking that question, if they're suicidal, they're going to feel 20 times worse. So don't worry about how you feel. Kind of just concentrate on how they feel at that point. Don't be afraid to ask people if they're suicidal. And if they tell you they're suicidal, ask them about it. Find out information now. Find out how long they've been thinking about it for. Have they planned how they're going to do it? What stopped them from doing it so far? Find out that kind of thing that's keeping them alive and get them to think about that thing. There's so much kind of information around this and and this is why it's so important that we get people educated within the sector about how to deal with that because we are the sector with the highest suicide rate and unless we start having these conversations it's not going to work and I remember somebody saying to me you say suicide a lot I had this really angry email from a man who was like you you say suicide too much I'd much rather if you told me that your husband took his own life Mm. and I said okay I I appreciate that but if I said that to my children for example you know your dad took his own life if you take something, you can bring it back. It's not, it doesn't describe the action and it's horrible and it's crap for want of a better word, but it is what it is. And suicide is something that is happening daily in our sector. And so it's really important that we use the word and we talk about it because suicide is what it is. And if people are having those feelings and they've got that in their head, we need to make it an appropriate place that they can talk about it and make it, people feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point, Emma. And just going back to what happened after Dan's death and the, the fact that people didn't know how to react to you, I think we need to talk about the families and partners and friends of people dealing with mental ill health because it can be really difficult to know what to do and really hard watching someone you love suffer and trying to do the best thing. And when you're not equipped, it's hard, right? It's really hard living with somebody with mental health issues and I didn't really realise the impact until after he died and a lot of people you speak to who live with people with mental health issues don't realise the impact until perhaps they've got better. It is so difficult. You change yourself as a person. You find yourself doing certain things and acting in a certain way just to make sure they're okay and to kind of suit their lifestyle. And what you find eventually is a lot of the time that person develops their own mental health issues. And, you know, following on from from living with Dan's mental health, I isolated myself massively from friends and family and ended up developing really severe anxiety issues, you know, afterwards. And that was the impact of his mental health on mine. And I think too often or not, we tend to concentrate on the person who has the mental health problems and kind of forget about the family around them when actually it can have a really big impact on the children, on the wife, on the husband, you know, whoever that might be. So it's really important that they access help as well and counselling is really good for that counselling is not only kind of for people who are at the end of their mental health and they've kind of had a really tough time with things it's also for people who are just really struggling with somebody else maybe you can't make decisions or you know are not able to kind of process their thoughts properly and counselling can help them kind of get through that and and also give them the tools and the skills to know how to support that person in their life and I quite often think you know I wish I would have had counselling when Dan was alive because one I would have known how to help him a bit better but also I'd have looked after myself a lot better during that period and rather than kind of running around like a fool trying to make sure everything was okay for him and suiting his life and ultimately spent quite a few years trying to stop him from killing himself I was putting myself in quite a lot of danger at the same time as well. And so we've got to think about the wider picture here as well and, and the people around that person. And of course, if if the worst does happen, if someone does end up killing themselves, what then, in, in terms of the people, the loved ones left behind, you, know, you mentioned that people wouldn't talk to you. What, what actually is helpful for you know friends and, and family 
for how they can react to that and how they can talk to you and what they can say what what do you think you would have found helpful I think for me it would have been just somebody coming up to me and saying to me tell me a bit what what happened you know what's happened to kind of get to this point because nobody ever asked that question like nobody in that first period until I started standing up and saying this is what's happened nobody ever kind of asked you know I didn't realize things were that bad and just presumed that kind of Emma doesn't want to talk about it but actually I did want to talk about it I wanted to talk about it for a few reasons one the reason being that it had been six seven years of my life that I just needed to get off my shoulders but also I felt it was really important that I used his story and what happened to him to try and stop it from happening to anyone else I mean I hated the thought at that point of anyone having to go through what I was going through and you know having to tell your four-year-old daughter that her dad was never coming home again was horrendous and I didn't want anyone else to go through that so I felt it was really important to discuss this with people so that people could see the impact this has and as much as Dan thought what he was doing was the right thing for him and for us it wasn't and quite often people who were suicidal they genuinely think they're doing it for the right reasons they think that people are better off without them when the reality is actually very different and the people who are left behind are quite often left behind in a really really sorry situation and so for me you know I just wanted somebody to come up and say to me look talk to me about what's happened you know are you okay how are you managing with this that just simple conversation and that simple kind of reaction to his death would have made such a difference but instead genuinely felt ignored for quite a long time a few friends used to come and speak to me one of my really close friends didn't speak to me for two months afterwards and the reason being he said he just didn't know what to say to me and he purely he saw me in the funeral and I can't even describe I remember going I've barely been to many funerals but I remember at that funeral no one would talk to me and I was like I thought everyone was supposed to speak to you at a funeral you know I thought people were supposed to comfort you but no one would talk to the 27 year old widow because they didn't know what to say to her and I think we've just got to get open with this the more open and honest we are about mental health and about suicide the less there are going to be of people like me and you know hopefully the more people will be getting help for the problems they have. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being so open and honest, Emma. It's yeah, it's it's really refreshing. Actually, I don't think I've even had like such an open conversation like that before. So thank you. So guys, just to end, I just want to go in. What help can Farming Community Network give and what help can the DPJ Foundation give? The Farming Community Network, uh, we have, uh, as I say, over 60 helpline uh, volunteers who are there from 7 in the morning until 11 at night just to listen and just to understand and to try and empathise with somebody's problems. They are also very good at signposting people to help, which is clearly what we need. We also have getting on for somewhere like 300 volunteers who actually go out onto farms. They don't at the moment but um, they will be hopefully fairly soon going out onto farms and having those face-to-face conversations with the farming community. We set, we call it walking with. We walk with the farmers and often it is actually physically doing that. It's going to a farm, walking around the farm and you know, listening to what that farmer's got to say, what he's going through, what she's going through, what the problems are. We're not an advice service. What we do do though is support people, walk with them and we can make suggestions as to what we think they might be best served to do. So we can point them to professional help to other charities for instance Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution who you were talking to earlier Jess we have other links we have huge links and in fact this this current Covid crisis has really thrown up and highlighted how closely we can work together as 
bombing help type charities that, you know, we're all, we, we regularly have weekly calls, all the organisations that help farmers talk to each other now, along with DEFRA. So government have been quite helpful too, uh, facilitating those conversations and just making sure that we as a charity have got what we need to support farmers and the farming community. A lot of these calls aren't coming from farmers. So they're actually coming from farming families. They're coming from farmers' partners, from farm workers, you know, the, the full cross spectrum of people who are involved, involved in the industry. And they're, all their needs are subtly different. You know, it's not, not just a farming issue. It's going to be an emotional issue. It's going to be a financial issue. So I think what, what FCN is there to do is really just to be there to help um, to, to listen. We have an online resource hub called Farmwell, farmwell.org.uk. I highly recommend you, uh, if you can, go and have a look at that because there's a whole load of information on there that looks at your business resilience, your personal resilience, and can really, it's got some fantastic advice there and sort of links to articles and things like that that have all been properly vetted because the internet's a scary place when it comes to trying to find advice, isn't it? So what we've actually managed to do is get together with reputable partner organisations and share information that really would be of help to the farming community. So that's Farmwell. So that's another thing that we do and specialise in. We've also just introduced another service called Time to Talk or hashtag Time to Talk. And although it's not just about mental health it is about people who at the current time will be feeling isolated will be stuck at home and uh, you can phone our helpline and we will arrange for somebody who maybe doesn't live too far away or knows the area knows the type of farm can just phone up and have a chat and it is just that it's it's not sort of an interrogation or expecting anything particularly serious to be wrong but it is just something it's a way of just getting a bit of, a bit of comfort from a bit of co- company that uh, speaks your language because i think that's one of the things about farmers we're tend to um, talk a slightly different language to the rest of the population. We have a very different job to the rest of the population. And it's 24-7, 365 days a year. And it's it just means that um, the pressures are completely different from your your average nine to five. And we recognise that. And that's why FCN is really here, to be able to talk to farmers and listen to farmers. And what's the FCN number again, helpline number? The, the helpline number is 03000 1199, that's 111999, or you can uh, email help at fcn.org.uk, and we have an email hotline as well, so that's there, or visit our website, it's all, all online, fcn.org.uk, and as I say, if you want more detailed help, then the Farmwell website is, uh, I'd really rec- recommend that, go and have a look at that, because that covers a whole range of different things. Emma, what about the DPJ Foundation? What can you do to help people? So the DPJ Foundation, we've got several kind of strands to what we can do. The first being our Share the Load service, which is fully funded counselling. So when I set up the charity following Daniel's death, what I became clear was FCM were already doing a fantastic job. Our ABI were already doing a great job. There was no point trying to reinvent the wheel. But actually what was really lacking was the um, provision of counselling services within Wales in particular at that point. And people who were trying to access professional support with their mental health were having to wait an awful long time. So we set up a service which meant that anybody working within agriculture could access fully funded counselling through a 24-hour call line and tech service. And within a week of that call, they would have 
an appointment with their counsellor. And at that point, we were looking at a waiting time to run six to nine months where I am in Pembrokeshire. So we operate that service throughout Wales. And the reason we only operate in Wales is purely because when I set this up, I only have ever imagined it being something small in Pembrokeshire. Didn't ever imagine we'd be covering the whole of Wales and, and I'd be doing it as a job, if I'm completely honest. It's all come a bit yeah. of a shock. So um, Little did you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. And so that's the kind of main part of the service that we offer. And we've supported over 200 farmers across Wales with counselling so far. But we offer it in a bit of a different way. We can do it. Um, usually we would send be able to send counsellors out onto farms, but obviously we can't do that currently. Although there are some special circumstances for people who are um, you know, really kind of in a bad way that because they are professionals and medical professionals, they can't go out. We do Skype counselling and we also do it over telephone counselling as well. Um, and we have unlimited amount of sessions that we can offer to people who work within the community. The other thing we do is we offer mental health awareness training with the idea of putting as much knowledge and understanding within the farming community. So we take anybody from you know, people who work in bulk tanker drivers, vets, feed reps, union reps, whatever that might be, giving them the tools to be able to spot the signs of somebody they might go out and see on a farm or, or speak to at the market and give them the tools to be able to support somebody with their poor mental health. Um, and we've trained over a thousand people in the last 18 months um, across Wales with that training, with the idea of taking it even further and continuing to get people trained up to really put the onus on us as an agricultural sector to look after each other, um, I think is the kind of the basis of that. And then the third aspect then is really just spreading awareness. And it's all about kind of getting people aware of mental health and that it's okay to talk about it. So we do that in a few different ways. We have volunteers across all over Wales who go out and talk to people about mental health. They've got an appearance at events when events are on. Um, They kind of are those kind of people on the ground within the community who are able to make sure that they get to the right help that they need and that help is available. We work really closely with um, FCN and RABI and and other organisations and we were actually part of the Farmwell Wales when that came together and again you know like Philip said it's a fantastic resource go there it's got loads of information that you need and wherever you might be across the country and it can signpost you in the right direction but I think most importantly you know compared to what Philip's doing with FCN and what we're doing there are so many other organisations out there and the most important message that help is out there and, and go for it and get it. That sounds brilliant. There's, like you say, there is a lot of help out there. So if people need it, they should definitely, definitely reach out and, and point friends and family to those resources as well. Emma, I just wanted to kind of finish by asking, what do you think Dan would say to other people dealing with mental ill health? What do you think he would be saying to them now? I think um, he was such a kind and considerate person. And I think if he ever thought that any of his friends were struggling, he would hate to see that happen and he would always encourage them to talk he would do anything he could to help them he'd always be that person on the end the end of the phone and I think you know if he could kind of see the legacy that he left I think that you know we use the hashtag share the load and that's ultimately what he would have encouraged people to do is to share that load and, and kind of get that load off their shoulders I think you'd have been slightly horrified of what I've done if I'm completely honest I've um, taken his small idea and managed to completely run with it and create something which has gone a bit out you know a bit out of hand which is a uh, fantastic but um yeah I think he would um, he'd definitely be encouraging people to talk A big thanks to Philip Wilson from the Farming Community Network and the amazing, open, honest and straight-talking Emma Picton-Jones from the DPJ Foundation. And if you or someone you know needs help, and let's be honest, we all do at some point, you can reach, get a pen and paper, RABI on 0808 281 9490, the Farming Community Network on 03000 111 999, 
If you're in Wales, the DPJ Foundation can be reached on 0800 587 4262. And for further assistance, go to farminghelp.co.uk where you can access those charities as well as the Addington Fund, RSABI for those in Scotland and Forage Aid. Keep well, folks. Thanks to Jez for that. It's real food for thought. And please, can I just make a personal plea? If you are feeling the effects of ill health, whether that's physical or mental, please seek help. There's no good thinking that tomorrow it's going to be all all right, because quite often it isn't. So go and get that help and get pointed in the right direction. We have a wonderful community, but it starts with you making that first outreach. For more information, you can go to our mental health hub at fginsight.com forward slash mental health. And for more information about Strive to Thrive in partnership with Waitrose, go to fginsight.com forward slash strive to thrive. And that's it for this week. Please remember to subscribe via your preferred podcast provider and we will be back next Tuesday. So from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, stay safe, stay well and goodbye for now.